0: My name is Jeremy, Pastor Jeremy. I have the opportunity to uh, speak to you this morning and uh, many mornings as well as I'm the preaching pastor. So that kind of works out nicely. But I'd like to welcome you here. Today, you can see that we're doing something a little different, often to do is sort of adjust my style to the style of the text because I believe that the Bible sits over me, I don't sit over it. And so today we're going to begin a new sermon series on the book of Jonah. And even if you've never read the Bible before in your entire life, you've probably heard of Jonah and the. Yeah, very good. Uh, Spoiler alert there's no whale. There's not! Actually, I'm telling you the truth. The biblical word, the Hebrew, is fish. It's a great fish. We just assume it's a whale because whales are the biggest fish we know about right now. Well, not even fish, right? They're a mammal. And so, anyways, we'll talk about that later, but I want to begin with a story, basically the story of Jonah, but I want to start this series um, with sort of a, a word association game because I know that... Uh, games are fun, and I like to play games. Hopefully you do too. So help me out this morning. I know it's a first service, but you guys can do this. You're good. So I'm going to say a word, then you say back to me what you associate with that word. I have to use a list because I can't even think of them all. But So for example, and you don't even have to go for this one, but I know you're ready. You're chomping at the bit, but I'm going to give you an example. So if I say ketchup, then you would say Mustard, very good, okay? So we're just gonna go through this list and bam, 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 we'll go right down the list and we'll come to the last one and that'll begin to make my point for today. So, are you ready? Are you ready? (laughs) All right, here we go. Thunder. Salt. Rise, Ann. Sun, moon, Ann. Ying, Ann. Marianne. Ken and Pittsburgh, reading, writing, and the birds and the touch, and that has nothing to do with the birds and the bees, by the way, fruits, and meat, and sweet, and bread, and yours, and his, and ham, and diapers, and Oh, it's been a while. Should be diapers and wipes. Good job. Thank you from the back row. Fire and ice. And finally, Jonah and... No! This is it. This is the thing I don't want you to say. By the end of the series, I'm really hoping that you'll no longer say Jonah and the whale. And not even the big fish. I don't even want that even when we started the art for this series it was kind of funny that some of our graphic artists Sarah Steele and also um, Sally were doing a lot of work on this and they're coming back oh there's all these pictures and they're whales and they're whales and they're whales and I'm like I don't want the stupid whale this story actually has very little to do with a fish if you've read this what you'll see is like the fish is like this much of this story This story is not about a fish. This is not a fish story at all. This is the story of Jonah and Yahweh, the covenant keeping, gracious and compassionate, ever faithful, loving and forgiving God. That's the story. Don't tell me it's about a fish. Fish has nothing to do with it. Fish is this foil, it's this big slimy thing that gets him from one point to another, and that's it, he's gone. Fish is nothing. God is everything. We come to this book, this story of Jonah and the whale, this historical narrative. I never, ever, ever want you to call Jonah and the whale again. I know it's an easy thing because it just kind of flows off the tongue, but this is the story of Jonah and his God. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to the book of Jonah. It's in the Old Testament. I know that can be a little bit tricky to find, especially if you're not familiar with a Bible, but we're going to have some uh, words up on the screen here, and if you don't have a Bible, you can read on the screen, or perhaps you uh, saw the blue books in back. Those are some loaner Bibles or keeper Bibles if you don't have one, depending on what you need, and we'll uh, we'll go through this. I know I jumped a little bit ahead, slide people, thank you, but let me give you a couple other quotes just to show you. That I'm not crazy, hopefully. There are some other commentators who are much smarter than I that say a similar thing. Stuff like this. They say, Men have been looking so hard at the great fish that they have failed to see the great God. The story is not about a big fish. The story is about a big God. Another quote says it like this, So therefore, then, we must remove the spotlight from Jonah and place it exactly where it belongs. On God himself in other words what we're saying to you today is Jonah is not the story of Jonah and the whale but the story of Jonah's God so let's read then the first six verses i love to do uh, Bible study this way it's the way we're just gonna look at a, a short passage but what hopefully I'll encourage you to do to this week is not only you know I'm reading six verses which is literally like this much but I would like you to go to this book this week and read it all the way through. That way we're not just diving into the details, but you're getting the big picture as well. So you don't miss the, the forest for the trees. But I want to pull out some of those trees because these are probably some things that you won't have seen before. And I think will greatly un- enhance not only your understanding of God's word, but also in particular your understanding of God. And therefore, your understanding of yourself and your world and how you relate to it. So let's look at Genesis, or sorry, Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. It says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. And then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, what do you mean you sleeper arise? Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. This is Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, the word of the Lord. So you guys did a good job with that association game this morning. And the question I want to ask to you, really, in a lot of ways, what becomes the theme of this series is this, is what is God like? What is God like? In the very last verse of this section, we actually hear that hinted at through the mouth of the pagan sea captain, where he says, well, perhaps the God will give a thought to us. We don't really know what he's like, because we're just a bunch of pagan sailors. You know sailors, right? (laughs) They don't know what God is. No offense, Navy guys, but at the end of the day, here are some very pagan people who have no clue whatsoever. In fact... Well, we'll get into this in a little bit, but let me just start walking you through uh, some of these words. Let's begin with the first one. Verse 1, it says this, Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, initially, I read over that, and none of you seemed to have even wiggled in your chair. But if you were in Jonah's day, this phrase would have stirred excitement within you, at least. It should, because what happens is back then, before they had the completed canon or before they had the whole Bible, the word of the Lord was rare. It was unusual. It was not frequent. So, for example, in First Samuel, um, when Samuel was a young boy and he's serving in the temple ministering with the priest Eli, it says this. It says, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. They didn't have the Bible. They didn't have the whole Old Testament. They didn't have the prophets yet. They didn't have the New Testament and the general epistles and Revelation. They had very little. And Samuel's in the temple and he's serving and the light's not gone out yet. And all of a sudden there's this voice that comes to him in verse 4. And the Lord called to Samuel and Samuel said, here I am. And he ran over to Eli, who was his priest or his shepherd watching over him. And he's like, uh, you called for me? And uh, Eli said, I didn't call. Go lay back down again. So Samuel did. And the Lord called again, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel rose and ran to Eli. It's kind of like the middle of the night cry. Mommy, I need to go wee wee. <laughs> okay, up she goes, right? Surprised, I don't know who's calling me, but I'm running somewhere. No, no, no. It wasn't me. Here I am, you called. I didn't call, my son. Go lie down. Samuel went, and he didn't really know that it was the Lord. The word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. This is strange. This is unusual. The word of the Lord is not common at this time. And the Lord called to Samuel again a third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. And then all of a sudden, Eli. Realized, oh, third time's a charm. Now I get it. Somebody's calling to you. It's not me. I'm a priest. We're in the temple. Maybe it's somebody other than me. (laughs) Maybe it's the Lord. Uh, So try this, Samuel. Next time you lay down, if he calls to you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel finally got it right and said, Speak, for your servant hears. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, here's what happens when the word of the Lord comes. This is what you should expect when you hear the word of the Lord. This is how excited you should be when you come to your Bible and when you expect the sermons on Sunday morning. Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hear it will tingle. And it's the word of the Lord. This is exciting stuff. This is not your everyday run-of-the-mill newspaper or casual report. This is the very word of God. It showed up out of nowhere. Where did that come from? This is a big deal. Stuff's about to happen. Something's gonna change. This is not an everyday advertisement. Don't change the channel. This is a big deal. This is the word of the Lord. Don't you understand, people? You have something in your lap that people have died for. Jonathan Huss, William Tyndale, Wycliffe, etc. over and over again. People go all over the world and give their lives to making a few books into a couple different languages. It's a big deal, and you use it as a doorstop. Come on. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, we live in a rich country with all kinds of stuff and it's easy to get a Bible, but I'm telling you, it's still a big deal. This is the real thing. You go to Disney World and you watch and you see the guys put on their silly little hats and they open it up and all of a sudden smoke comes out of their magical incantation book and they do something and a mirror starts talking or a witch hands you an apple or whatever because they're magic spells. That stuff's not magic. It's just gobbledygook. This is magic magic. This is real. This is alive. When you open this book, you are not just looking at words on the page, but you are looking at the living, breathing, active Spirit of God who put this thing together over several thousand years, holds it, and communicates God's truth to you. Because of this, we know God. If it weren't for this, we'd have no idea who Jesus was. Where do we get our information about Christ? Sure, Josephus and a couple other guys casually mention him in Pat passing but the life of christ is in the gospels this is the word of the lord this is a big deal don't glance over this and read it like oh pfft, the, word of the lord came Jonah." no the word of the lord your ears should be tingling what do you do on saturday night stay up late watch a movie come to church have some coffee ah, the word of the lord No, oh, i'm encouraging you now listen jews start their sabbath the night before at 6 p.m. When do you begin your worship? Now, we worship on Sunday because we're Christians and we believe in the resurrection, not on Saturday. But the same is true. If you want to prepare your hearts for Sunday morning, that starts on Saturday night. Get ready. Your ears should be tingling. Here comes the word of the Lord, not the word of Jeremy. If it's the word of Jeremy, who cares? Go home. Don't waste your time. But if I tell you what's in this book, I'm giving you the real thing. The word of the Lord. Come to hear this. Come ready. Prepare. Pay attention. Give it five minutes for five days this week. That's all I'm asking. I'm going to ask you direct and point blank. You know, read your Bibles. It's a big deal. If you've never read it before, there's all kinds of places to start. Proverbs, if you need some practical advice. Psalms, if you need some encouragement. John, if you want to know who Jesus was. Matthew, if you want to know what Jesus taught. Mark, if you want a really short one and. Romans, if you want the whole kit and caboodle. Read your Bible. Give me five minutes. Don't, don't give it to me. Give it to yourself. Five minutes for five days this week and see what happens. See if your ears don't tingle. See if your life doesn't change. Read it. It's the word of the Lord. Come on. I know we're busy. I know life is tough, but I'm just asking for five minutes. I guarantee you everybody sits down for five minutes. Everybody sits down for five minutes. The word of the Lord. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now the next thing it says is that it is the son of Amittai. What that does for us is that that locates us in a specific time period. That tells you that this is a historical book, that it is not just... Um, some random story as liberal critics will tell you Or an allegory or a metaphor But instead, instead it happened at a particular point in time That this is real and it is true Second Kings locates this in the reign of Jeroboam Which is a northern king And so what I'd like to do over the next couple minutes Is walk you through 6,000 years of history In 6 minutes <laughs> Are you ready? I promise you it's not going to be boring. I know sometimes you hear history and you're like, oh, history, hmm. But this is absolutely essential to understanding the text. And once you understand the text, then you can say, okay, so this is how it applies to me. Why would Jonah hate these people so bad? Why would he be so mad at him? Is he just some weird, strange, racist bigot? Or does he have good reason for being concerned and afraid about these people? What is Jonah's life like? What setting does he live in? And therefore, how does this affect my view of God? If God can save these people, wow, who else can he save? Maybe even me. So here's what happens then. Here's the brief, big picture. This is a 30,000-foot view of history moving up to this time period. So we as Christians, we affirm that God created the world. So we kind of start there. We say, God created the world, it was perfect, we messed up. We call that the fall. After that, things go really bad, and so God's like, I'm in a clean house. He sends a flood, wipes out everybody but the one person who had faith. Then, from that group, he chooses a particular people. Initially, this guy's name was Abram, and then he changed it to Abraham. And from that people he raised up Isaac and Jacob and eventually a a young man named Joseph who is the one to um, go down to Egypt, be sold into slavery, um, and enrich the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then eventually, you know, Moses brings them out, but it's not over yet because even though they're out of Egypt, there's still this great big wilderness and they're stuck. So they have to wander around in the wilderness for a long time until God does away with some of the people that rebelled against him and prepares his people for moving into the promised land. But even then, they don't walk in the front door as if it's easy. Instead, there's a lot of battles, and so Joshua has to lead the people into the promised land. And then the Lord still wants to reign over them, so he says, I'm going to be your boss, and the people don't really like it. And so they go through all these ups and downs in the time of Judges, and eventually God says, fine, whatever, and he gives them Saul. Saul turns out to be a real rascal, and then God comes back in and fix it with, fixes it with a guy named David. Then David sets up the biggest kingdom Israel has ever known and does an incredible job of ruling over his country, albeit for a few significant mishaps. But he establishes the kingdom of Israel. Then his son Solomon builds the temple and the rich and wealthy and happy. But as is the case with us human beings, inevitably we mess up and things go to pot. And so that's what happens with the kingdom of Israel. And only a couple kings later in Solomon's son, this, uh, he, he decides to raise taxes to this insane level. And the kingdom splits, they have a sort of a civil war without the actual war. they just split, and you get the north and the south now that 's a really big deal. I walked you up to that point really fast, but this is a lot of the Bible occurs in the context of the north and the south, and in general, very different from the way perhaps you would think of uh, don 't think of u s north and south, but think of Israel and what happens is in the north. They're considered basically the bad guys. They're the pagans. They're the idolaters. They're the evil and wicked kings. And generally speaking, the northern kings are bad. Well, Jonah happens to be a prophet in the north. In the southern kingdom, that is called Judah. The northern kingdom is called, well, the northern kingdom of Israel. Well, here's here's what happens. Judah is... Also the reason why modern day Jews call themselves Jews, because Judah was faithful to God when the northern kingdom wasn't. So when they're deported and sent into exile and other people are looking at these weird, circumcised, non-ham-eating, strange Sabbath-keeping people, they're like, what are you? And they're like, well, I'm a Jew. I'm from that area of Judah. So that's how they get their name. So here we are in the northern kingdom of Israel, and there's this prophet under this king Jeroboam, named Jonah. That that prophet is listed in Second Kings. So here's a couple of dates for you. This may help if you like uh, structure. That was kind of the big picture. But so the flood, according to a lot of conservative um, historians, happens around 6,000. Abraham, obviously, there's a lifespan there, but it's easy to remember. 2000. The Exodus actually occurred in 1446. King David was around the millennium, that is, BC. And then there was King Solomon, his son, and then Rehoboam, his son. And that's where the kingdom splits in 931. So it splits in two. And once it's split, now, next slide, you have Jonah. So basically, Jonah is shortly following the split. And it's very important to note, though, it's before the northern kingdom falls and way before the southern kingdom falls. And that's significant because if you look at it and you actually see that Jonah occurs in 759, he's going to Assyria less than 30 years before Assyria is about to totally obliterate his homeland, okay? So he knows that these people absolutely hate him, and it will only be a very short time until they do everything they can to kill all of his people. That's when Jonah is occurring. Now then shortly thereafter um, you have the, the the northern kingdom tries to invade the southern king that is Assyria tries to invade Judah, but they Although they successfully invade, they are unable to fully conquer Judah. And by the way, this is really cool. This, I mean, you think I'm just telling you history. Here's when Hezekiah, the Jew who's resisting the invading Assyrians, builds Hezekiah's tunnel. Today, you can go to the promised land and you yourself can walk through Hezekiah's tunnel. And do you know where that tunnel ends? In the pool of Siloam. Now, who told Hezekiah to build this tunnel? Prophet Isaiah. Now, what did Isaiah say would happen when the Messiah came? Here's a hint. Blind would see, lame would walk, deaf would hear. Now, let me ask you a question. In John, where did Jesus send the blind man to wash? In the pool of Siloam. Hmm. Accident? I don't think so. Not a chance. This is awesome. So here it is: history is being written in on purpose by God to bring things together, and the Southern Kingdom holds out and then eventually falls to the Babylonians. Daniel, remember, is carted off to Babylon. He sees a statue and he says, look, here's all these different kingdoms. Because God just raises up and brings down kingdoms willy-nilly with no trouble at all. You know, I'm not impressed by nuclear bombs. Ha, big deal. You know, you call that stealth? It's right there. I'm omniscient. (laughs) No problem. I got it. So here's how it works. And he eventually gets around to Jesus in about 6 to 4 B.C. That's according to uh, the Bible and Luke, where it says Jesus was born uh, at this time with Herod. And we know that Herod died at a specific time, so Jesus had to be born at that time. So that's how it worked. Now, what I'm going to show you are some actual historical slides from that era. So, well, this one's just a map. This shows you what the kingdom of Assyria looks like at its heyday. This is bigger than Jonah. Okay, so this this is after Jonah. You have the kingdom of Assyria. Now, if you want, you can go to modern-day Turkey. You can go to the museum in Istanbul, and you can walk in, and you can see pictures of stuff from that time period. So, for example, um, hmm, I might have this slide out of order. There we go. So, for example, you could walk in, and you could see Assyrian kings like this guy, Shalmaneser III. Now, these Assyrian kings, as you can imagine, power, (laughs) little power corrupts a little, great power corrupts greatly. When you're ruling the majority of the world and your people will believe anything you want to tell them, why not tell them how great you are? (laughs) You know, consolidate power. This guy was happy to brag about his many exploits, and this is the type of thing he would say. You can actually find this written in stone. A pyramid of heads I reared in front of his city, their youths and their maidens I burnt up in the flames. Who is he talking about, do you think? Hezekiah. This is what shalmaneser did at the sacking of Lachish, um, taking on the Jewish people. And this is the clean quote I put up on the board. There are many quotes I would not put up on the board in front of you this morning as he describes in detail his various means of torture, which he basically uses to impress his buddies and saying, hey, yeah, I can do this and I can do this to people. And they draw pictures of it. (laughs) I mean, you can go in the museum and see pictures. You're like, whoa, this is crazy. But let me show you a few of the pictures that I can show you. Actually, I'll tell you what they bragged about first. There are three things that Assyrian kings liked to brag about, they would say that, number one, I'm a heroic hunter, you know? (laughs) This is way better than taxidermy in the garage, right? (laughs) They would make great um, statues of lions and show themselves slaying these things. They would also say that they are an astounding warrior. And so, as a result, they would brag about their conquest. And here's a slide of the invasions of Sennacherib, You'd say, "Look, I went in here and I did this, and I did that." In fact, you can actually read some of these prisms. Go ahead and show the next one. This is from Second. This is cool how the Bible correlates it to secular history. Second Kings 198 talks about Hezekiah resisting Sennacherib. Then you can go to the prism at the Oriental Institute at the University of Chicago, or at the British Museum. And you can actually read Sennacherib's description of how he himself uh, treated Hezekiah. So he says this, as to Hezekiah the Jew, he did not submit to my yoke, which is what Isaiah told him to do. Don't give in. I laid siege to 46 of his strong cities, walled forts, and to countless small villages in their vicinity, and conquered them. He himself, I made a. You know, in Jerusalem, his royal residence, like a bird in a cage. Man, you know, he's just bragging and bragging and bragging. But at the end of the day, he still failed because his desire was to conquer the city through a siege. And he couldn't do it because of the uh, Hezekiah's tunnel, which led to the Pool of Siloam. But he did brag about some of the stuff he did. So here's a nice picture of it. This is him impaling people outside the walls. And here's another picture of it as well. This is carting off the women and children, which after you've killed the men, what do you do? Well, you take their wives, of course, for your harem. Add them to the mix. What guy would appreciate that? And then after you've conquered them, you want them to pay tribute to you. And so this is later. This is later. This is a different guy. But it shows one of the northern king Jehu's... Actually, sorry, this was earlier. uh, Jehu's submission... And then you will also see details and reliefs of them carrying off the booty. Hey, I conquered these people. I'm the heroic, mighty warrior. I kill lions. I kill people. And not only that, I'm practically God. Why? Here's a picture of me with wings on my back, floating over the people and doling out gifts because I am so powerful. In fact, a even put it in words. Here's what he said. You thought the Indone." end zone dance at the super bowl was showing off look at this i am powerful i am all powerful i am heroic i am gigantic i am colossal i am honored i am magnified i am without equal among the kings the chosen one of asher nabu and marduk look at me the greatest among all gods what does isaiah have to say to these guys Here is a message from the Lord. I am the Lord. That's it. I am God. And there is no other. And I will not share my glory with some silly little carved idol. Not a chance. Jonah, get up. Get up and go to Nineveh because this is ridiculous. Ridiculous. What are you thinking? Get up, Jonah. Rise and go to Nineveh. Nobody should ever call themselves God. He will not share his glory with another. So comes the word of the Lord to make the ears tingle of all who hear. And God says, "Jonah, son of Amittai, rise. Go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it for their evil has risen up against me as a stench it is like a dead carcass poop manure filthy rags menstrual cycle whatever you want to call it it is sick it is not a sweet smelling aroma or sacrifice that i desire but it is wrong jonah get up go to Nineveh, and call out against it. So what then should a prophet do? Yes, sir, right away I will. But Jonah's just a guy, just like me or you or anybody else. And how many of you want to go over to Iraq or Afghanistan right now? Walk around town to town where they're flying black flags and very happy to put you on TV and throw a red hood over your face and cut your head off. Yeah, sign me up for that. <laughs> I'll go to Nineveh. Hey, by the way, guess where Nineveh is? Mosul. Nineveh is modern day Mosul, Iraq, on the banks of the river. You can go there today if you want. Be careful. <laughs> I actually have a friend who serves with a Samaritan purse in Iraq itself. But anyways, this is very, very normal. How many of us want to go to a foreign country, let alone Iraq or Afghanistan or some other place that hates you and wants to kill you? (laughs) This is what Jonah was called to do. God says, Jonah, rise, go to Nineveh. Obviously, they're doing bad stuff. Tell them not to because I want to forgive them. What? You want to forgive the same people who surrounds our city, hangs up my dad, carts off my sister, and kills my daughter? (laughs) Are you crazy? No way! I would rather die than see those people go to heaven. Really? Yeah, really. Okay. All right, Jonah. Now, what is God like? I think he's so gracious because at this point in the story, if you want, God could have said, okay, Jonah, done with you. (laughs) Thank you for signing up, but your prophetic career is over right now. I don't need you, Jonah. I can use a million other guys to go to uh, Syria or Nineveh. I don't need you. God, in his grace, not only reaches out to this incredibly wicked people group, but also to this single individual, rebellious, disobedient servant. And then the same story, in the same fatal swoop, is going to deal with both. He's both God of the nations and God of the individual as well. In America, we like to emphasize the individual. This is my personal relationship with Jesus. Well, He cares about groups of people, too, but not to the exclusion of the individual. God is so cool because he can work with both at the same time. How many of you ever heard the mission trip testimony? Yeah, I didn't really want to go on this mission trip, and uh, so I just really felt bothered, and I thought I was going to help these poor people over there, and then I got back, and you know what? Really, I found out it was about me. God changed me through that. What do you think is going to happen to Jonah? So Jonah is told to arise. Now, in Bible study, one of the things you want to do, because the Holy Spirit's not stupid, he chooses his words on on purpose, is he picks words and he emphasizes them over and over again. So let me ask you then, in verse 2, what did God tell Jonah to do? What did he tell him to do? What's the first word? Arise. Good. Listen and see if you hear that word anymore throughout this text. Verse 2 says, Arise and go to Nineveh. But verse 3 says, Jonah what? Arose. Fled to Joppa. Here's a picture of that up on the screen. Nineveh is going to be to the northeast. It's a little tiny dot up there on the river. You don't have to read the word, but it's there. And then... Uh, Joppa is a southern port in the nation of Israel. So basically, God told Jonah to go northeast, and Jonah went southwest. <laughs> okay, that's not exactly obedience, you know. <laughs> northeast, southwest. Hey, son, I just told you to go pick up your toys. Yeah, Dad, I'll be out back playing soccer. <laughs> exactly the opposite of what I just told you. It's exactly opposite. God says, arise and go northeast. Jonah arises and goes southwest. Not exactly obedience. So Jonah goes, now, here's another one. The presence of the Lord. I'll come back to that in a minute. Now, here's the next one. It says, he went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went Down into it, away from the presence of the Lord. When Jonah is thrown overboard, which way does he go? Down. When he is swallowed by the great fish, which way does he go? What do you think the author's getting at here? When you disobey God, which way does your life go? Down right? When you do what God tells you not to, your life goes down. It's not an accident. That's the way God set it up from the very beginning. Jonah, instead of going up to Nineveh, goes down to Joppa. He goes down to the port. He goes down into the depth of the ship. Then he goes down into the depth of the sea. And then he goes down to to the very bottom in the belly of the fish. Jonah disobeys God and his life just goes down, down, down. If you feel like your life's going down, 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 I've got to ask you, are you obeying God? It's not saying he'll make you rich and wealthy and do everything you want right away, but there might be a reason for what you're going through. Disobedience brings trouble, discipline, and difficulty. Which way is your life headed right now? Jonah's was going down. So why was he doing it? It says that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Now, there's a psalm I think I have. I'm going to have to move pretty quick. Um, There's a psalm I have towards the end. This is Psalm 139. And it's a psalm of David. Now, David, remember, was the king who united the country and came before Jonah. Jonah is a prophet raised in the wisdom of the Lord. He would be familiar with the Psalms. Jonah is running to get away from God. If you're a pagan sailor, you might actually think that's possible. You might say, yeah, there's a God in Israel. There's a God in Assyria. There's a God over here in Tarshish. There's a God down there in Egypt. There's a God over there in Babylon. There's all kinds of gods just depending on where you're at. There's different gods that have their own sort of little space. And these are the deities that exist in that spot. But What the book of Jonas shows us is that, in fact, there might be just one God who rules over all things, the land, the earth, the sea, in every place, everywhere. There might be just one God. And so here's what... David says, and it's kind of funny, as, as you listen to what happens in the book of Jonah, listen to this psalm and note the irony. Later, Jonah will quote a psalm. He will demonstrate to you that he knows the psalms. But here's, here's what he says in, in Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, even if I'm going to Tarshish, and my lying down, like in the bottom of a ship. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, stuff like storms. Behind and before, you lay your hand upon me, like you push me to the bottom of the sea and hold me under water until I'm ready to confess. Such knowledge is far too wonderful for me. Now remember Jonah 1, three, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from what? The presence of the Lord. He found a ship. He paid the fare. He went down from what? The presence of the Lord. Now look at what the next verse says in Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. It's not what the Greeks thought. I thought that was like Zeus and a few others and these other guys like Poseidon are down at the sea. Well, this one says if I make my bed in Sheol, even if I go down to the dead, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, you're there. Even there, your hand will lead me. Even when I run the opposite way, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will uphold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me shall be night like in the stomach of a fish. Even the darkness is not dark to you. Did you hear that, church? Even the darkness is not dark to God. What are you going through right now? Is it dark? Hard to see? Can't find your way out? Even the darkness is not dark to God. I'm from Missouri, so I've been in places where they, underground caves where they turn out the lights, and it does not matter how long you're there, you cannot see. There is zero light. I mean, zero. You cannot see. Even the darkness. Is not dark to you. What then shall we say? Well, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me to the everlasting. This is what God does. This is who God is. Look at Jonah and see if that happens. See if God searches Jonah's heart. See if God leads Jonah to where he wants him to go. Verse 4 says there's a big storm. It comes and the ship threatened to break up. They throw the cargo overboard. And the captain comes to Jonah who is sound asleep and says, what? What does he say? What does the captain say to Jonah? Arise. Get up, man. You're going down. What are you doing? If Jonah is in a deep sleep here, and he's a prophet, and he's familiar with the visions of the Lord, what do you think he thinks is happening? Not too long ago, he got the word from the Lord which said, arise, call out. Now he's falling asleep, and guess what he hears again? Rise, Call out! <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> I'm in the ship. You're not supposed to be able to find me here. I'm going the opposite direction. You told me to go. I'm trying to get away. I was hoping you couldn't. Oh, wait, it's not you. It's that captain. Okay, I'm safe. He'll never find me. Maybe I can get away. Whew! That was a close one. I thought that was God. <laughs> Maybe it was. Maybe it is. What is God saying to you? Over and over again in your life that you keep hearing that you're not paying attention to. Are you Jonah? Are you running? Are you obeying? Arise. Call out Jonah, perhaps. Maybe, just maybe. God. God will give a thought to us. Is there a God like that? You know, as a pagan sea captain, I know about Poseidon and Neptune and all these other gods that we have to appease with offerings and sacrifices because they just love the wanton destruction of human life. They love to kill people. They delight in it. So we make sure to give them the maidens whenever they need them because we don't want any of that. But maybe... Since Poseidon and Neptune and Marduk and Asher and Istar and all those others didn't answer, maybe your God will. So why don't you try him? Perhaps, just maybe, there's a God out there who cares. Maybe there's one who can actually calm the storm with the word of his voice. If there's a God like that, I'd sure like to know him. I sure hope the pagan sailors get to, too. I sure hope the people of Nineveh, the Malay, the Gulu, people of Midland, I hope they hear about this, God. Mark chapter 4. On that day, Jesus had come. He said, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with him in a boat. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking. The darkness must have been very dark. So the boat was filling. He was in the stern asleep, just like Jonah. And just like Jonah, he went down for three days and three nights. Hmm. I woke him up. He said the stupidest thing someone could ever say to God. Teacher, do you care? God, do you care? There's a storm in my life. Do you even care, God? Oh, you of little faith. (laughs) Don't you know which God you're talking to? You think this is Marduk or Ashtar, Ishtar or Shardin or Ashurbanipal or any of those other jerks? Not a chance. He cares. Don't insult him like that. He loves you. He's not like that. Do you care that we're perishing? Do you care about this storm? He woke up, said, peace, be still. And it stopped. Why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? Who is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Is there a God like that? I hope so. I could need him. I know you do too. Father, thank you. We need you. We're worse than the Assyrians. We're worse than Jonah. Still the storm, calm our hearts, find our fears. Make us obey. Turn us in the direction you want us to go. Help us to trust you in the storm. Never, ever to accuse you of not caring. In Jesus' name, amen.